With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. The American Farm Bureau Federation's Ag Innovation Challenge is looking for entrepreneurs and innovators for its 2024 edition of the contest. This will be the 10th year that Farm Bureau is partnering up with Farm Credit for the Ag Innovation Challenge, and Farm Bureau and Farm Credit will award $165,000 in startup funds to 10 different businesses. For more information, you can visit fb.org backslash challenge. And now let's get into today's show headlines. Building Western Snowpack here in the Golden State. Today, the Department of Water Resources is conducting the third snow survey at the Phillips Snow Station. Ahead of the survey, USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey noted the continuing accumulation of mountain snowpack in California this winter and its importance in alleviating drought conditions across the state. If you're looking for a positive angle to this story, it is that we continue to see drought relief in California. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to be getting this snow as we move through the winter. That, especially with the cold nature of this latest round of late February storminess, will be money in the bank when it comes to summer water supply. Because unlike the last several winters, we are not losing this snow early. It's holding on, continuing to build. And as we move into the melt season later this spring and summer, that will continue to fill residents reservoirs and replenish groundwater. Ruby goes on to talk about the active weather that happened this past week in which featured significant snow accumulations. What a winter it has been for much of the western United States and especially for California. This is the start of the third impressive round of storminess for the state of California after dealing with drought for three consecutive years. Here we are in this winter of 2022-23. We kicked off with a bang in late November, right at the end of November, in the first 10 days of December. And then we had an even more impressive stormy period that started right after the holidays in late December and lasted through mid-January. And then starting last week, Week, we got right back into it. After about a month of quiet weather, the big difference with this latest round of storminess, which included a record-setting storm over the weekend, is that it is much colder than any of the storminess that we have seen so far this winter. Snow levels are considerably lower, and that brought snow all the way into the suburbs of Los Angeles and even San Diego with extremely low snow levels. And even for some of the sea level areas, we saw hail and high winds and very unpleasant weather. Stay tuned as we'll provide you with the updated numbers from the snow survey in tomorrow's show. But right now, here's Agnet West, Brian German with more Ag News. There are a number of challenges that California growers are hoping to see addressed in the coming farm bill. President and CEO of California Citrus Mutual, Casey Kramer, laid out some of the priorities they highlighted at the recent farm bill listening session in Tulare. The number one thing is competitiveness for our farmers, our growers. We have just been hit with a number of challenges. The entire specialty crop industry has been hit with challenges. We've been working with the broader specialty crop industry to identify priorities to try to increase the competitiveness for especially California growers. We're seeing import pressures. We're seeing cost pressures, export challenges, you name it, weather, trade wars. Uh, We really need to have a farm bill that really supports our growers and lets them and do the things that they're best at and uh, so that California, the United States can continue to lead the world in fresh citrus and, and fresh production. Understanding the Feek's growth stage can help growers more efficiently manage cover crops. 
USDA research horticulturalist Eric Brennan said the Feeks growth scale can give growers more confidence in knowing when to terminate a cover crop to make sure it doesn't produce viable seed. When I started working with cover crops in Salinas Valley, you know, like many growers in this region, I knew a lot of things about vegetable production, or I've learned those over the years. But in terms of when a plant like Merced rye was actually about to produce seed, I was pretty ignorant. But as I've learned the Feeks growth scale, I've become much more relaxed because I now can look at a field and say, oh, no, that field's not even, you know, that field's just starting to flower. You don't even need to worry about it. It's not going to set viable seed for another month or two. So I can be confident with that because I know the feeks growth stage. So no feeks, no need to freak out about seed production. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, specialty crops have been included in the Farm Bill since 2008, when the horticulture title was created to cover specialty crops and certified organic products. As lawmakers take to creating a new Farm Bill this year, leaders of the specialty crop industries have specific requests. I talked with Robert Gunther, the Chief Public Policy Officer at International Fresh Produce Association and Secretary of the Specialty Crop Farm Bill Alliance. The focus has been really in five kind of core areas. Healthy Americans, so, you know, investments in specialty crops will produce a very strong return for all Americans, not just farmers. So where we can increase access to specialty crops and and nutrition programs, uh, things like that, and promoting consumption is very important. Another area is trade and foreign competition. Again, market access is critical to a successful specialty crop industry. It should be a national priority, quite frankly, to be able to uh, bring uh, increased export opportunities for products here grown in the United States. Research and innovation. Again, it's a really big area we spent a lot of time on over the last year and a half. Really, where can we enhance research areas like in automation and mechanization, for instance? Where can we look to have, you know, get USDA to focus more attention in that space? Where can we look at, you know, areas related to climate and environmental challenges? You know, pest and disease issues. Where does that research need to be focused on for specialty crops to be continue to be competitive in a global marketplace? And then finally, natural resources and climate. You know, it, 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 historically, it is uh, our industry has not been able really to tap into some of the conservation programs at a level we think is important at USDA. For instance, things like the EQIP program and things like that. So where can we enhance these current conservation programs that can uh, help specialty crop producers become more Uh, utilize them in a a much more effective and broader way. He said when it comes to the nutrition title, which makes up the majority of the farm bill, there are several opportunities for specialty crops. 
for instance, one of the things that we're looking at is modernizing the USDA procurement program. This is how USDA buys and distributes food through their federal nutrition programs like school lunch, school breakfast, TFAP, other programs, food banks, things like that. How can we better modernize the programs that USDA utilizes both in terms of the process they go through in terms of their purchasing options, but also moving the product? How can we better improve that type of, of procurement? A lot of times people will say, well, we can't get fresh tomatoes or fresh lettuce or you know, fresh melons uh, at, at our schools. And you can go down the store at a supermarket or even a restaurant and see all of those types of products. So why is it so different from a retail or private sector than it is for the, for the government to be able to serve these types of products in schools and other places that, that are important to help make sure we have a healthy diet uh, across uh, all people who, who are eating you know, here in this country. Another area I would say is the support of the Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program. This program has been around for quite some time. It's actually of a pilot in 2002 Farm Bill. And this program is very unique because it's not as much as a feeding program as it is an opportunity to educate elementary school children across the country what are the different products that are out there that, that you may never, they, they've never even tried before. They also serve these during the school period so teachers can implement curriculum around these products and different things they're, they're teaching at the time. So, again, it's a very innovative program now. It's in all 50 states. We want to continue to see that program continue to grow. To hear more with Gunther, tune in on Saturday to our new Agnet Weekly podcast. You can find it where you listen to podcasts or through our website, agnetwest.com. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, some are wondering what USDA is looking for for dairy production over the next year. Not only production, but supply and prices. Where Rod Bain has a story looking at each of those. Fewer cows, higher feed costs, tighter supplies... The summary of USDA's outlook for the dairy sector in 2023. This is Agriculture Department Livestock Analyst Shale Shagum. What we're expecting to see is a slight decline in the average dairy herd, somewhere down to about 9.83 million head in 2023. The lowest herd replacement number since 2005. That is expected to lower milk production, despite higher milk per cow production year over year by 1%. As far as prices, we are looking generally at lower product prices across the year. The class three price of about seventeen ninety. The class four price is expected to average about eighteen twenty five. With the all milk price for this year forecasted at twenty dollars seventeen cents per hundredweight, down from last year, but still the second highest all milk price since two thousand fourteen. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington D.C. Thanks, Rod, and USDA Livestock Analyst Shale Shagham discusses the forecast for this year's dairy cattle herd. When we got the January 1st cattle report, producers indicated that they were going to be holding back 2% fewer heifers for addition to the dairy herds in 2023, and approximately 2% fewer dairy heifers were going to be calving during 2023. Now, those lower replacement numbers were the lowest since 2005, but we're still looking at very high dairy replacement heifer prices. But still, if you're thinking about expanding your herd, you're going to be having to think about higher replacement costs than you might have otherwise. 
Another factor that plays into this was we've seen a relatively large increase in dairy cow slaughter. If we look at dairy cow slaughter through early February, you're running about 8% above a year ago. So we're seeing producers retaining fewer animals. We were seeing producers sending more of the existing herd to slaughter during the first part of 2023. And Shagam also discusses forecasts for U.S. dairy exports by basis and product this year. If we look at exports to 2023, we are looking at about 2% lower fats on an export basis and about 1% lower on a skims basis. We're looking at a relatively weak global economy, which is going to have some stymieing effect on demand, increased price competition, which we saw towards the end of 2022. However, we are looking at less competitive production in some products, such as skim milk powders in Australia and New Zealand, and then some lower weight production in several other countries. That could help us. Expectations of a weaker U.S. dollar may also help our competitiveness as well. We are looking at lower exports, though on a fat basis we may see our exports tick up above year earlier by the end of the year. But still we're looking at fat basis exports at about 13.1 billion pounds, a milk equivalent down 2%, and skim exports at 52.1 billion pounds down about 1%. Again, that was USDA Livestock Analyst Shale Shagum. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. GMOs? Genetically engineered? Bioengineered? What's what? Well, GMO stands for Genetically Modified Organism. It's the common term many people use for foods created through a process scientists call genetic engineering. And you'll start seeing bioengineered on some food packages to let you know the product or some of its ingredients come from GMOs. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Veterinarians are helping to reignite the push to strengthen dog import standards. That's coming up on This Land of Hours. The American Veterinarian Association's supported Healthy Dog Importation Act would help to prevent the introduction and spread of diseases impacting both animal and human health. The legislation has been reintroduced in both chambers of Congress and would improve the importation standards to make sure dogs are in good health when brought into the U.S. Dr. Lori Teller, the AVMA president, says strengthening our animal health infrastructure by improving the country's dog import standards is essential to maintaining public health. She says there are more than a million dogs imported into the country each year, and we must make sure they are healthy and not a risk for spreading dangerous diseases. Senator Tina Smith, who is one of the bill's sponsors, says mitigating the spread of foreign diseases in dogs helps keep domestic and wild animals safe. She says it will also help to prevent illnesses and disease outbreaks in people. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. If you're planning on retiring from farming in the next few years, you might end up with a buildup of grain holdings that will normally be sold in the year after harvest without any offsetting deductions in that year. One tax tool that can be used to reduce the tax bite is a cash balance pension plan. As you near retirement, a cash balance plan allows you to contribute nearly 100% of your net earnings into the plan. If you pair it with a 401k plan, you might be able to deduct more than your net earnings. Over a five-year period, this might allow you to soak up over a million dollars of deferred grain inventory that might otherwise be taxed at a rate of 40% or more. But it will increase your self-employment or payroll taxes, and any current farm employees must be covered and annual contributions made on their behalf. 
For example, assume that you expect to have about a million dollars worth of grain in your last year of farming. Under a cash balance plan, you could sell an extra $200,000 worth of grain each year for five years and get an offsetting deduction. There's a fee to set up and administer the plan, so make sure you do projections to see if it's a good idea for you. You can start to take the money out of the plan at age 72 when your tax rate is likely to be lower. A cash balance plan won't eliminate the tax, but it is one way to reduce the tax burden in that last year of farming by spreading it out over several years at usually lower rates. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. We food shoppers know, of course, that we paid a lot more for grocery store food last year. Now we know how much more. Agriculture Department economist Matt McLaughlin says on average it was 11.4% more. It's the highest level of food price inflation since 1979. 1979, and that year didn't seem to be a great one for anybody. First, uh, among the top song hits then... It was not a happy music year, and to make matters worse, hundreds of farmers and their tractors jammed Washington, D.C. streets February of 79, and one of those farmers told me... The reason we're in Washington today is to protest the, the low prices that we're experiencing in agriculture today. Farmers were getting very low prices for their commodities. Many were losing their farms, and most farmers were not happy. Consumers not happy with rapid hikes in retail food prices. Things did settle down after that with mostly small yearly increases in food prices. There were even a couple of years in there when food prices actually went down from one year to the next. But then came COVID and supply problems. And then a year ago... The initial phase of a full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia's military is underway. All of this and other factors causing what economist Matt McLaughlin calls a massive shift in terms of food prices. Matt told the Agriculture Department's Outlook Forum the other day that over the last 20 years, retail food price inflation has averaged only about 2% a year. So 11.4% in one year is indeed a massive shift, made even more massive because it didn't involve just a few food categories. None of the food categories that we tracked decreased in prices between 2021 and 2022, all increased by at least 5%. Beef and veal was our lowest category at 5.3%, and eggs grew by over 30%. So that's history. What about this year? We are predicting that food at home prices will continue to increase in 2023 relative to 2022, albeit at a slower rate than they did in 2022. So again, last year, grocery store food prices rose almost 11.5%. Matt's prediction for this year, just over 8.5%. Matt says, look for milk and dairy products to rise another 7% this year. Cereal and bakery products up almost 13%. Fats and oils over 16.5%. Eggs, oh, eggs, they could go up another 37% as bird flu continues to cause big losses of egg-laying hens. However, Matt says we may see beef and pork prices actually go down. Not by much, though, in the range of 1% to 2%. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. As we begin March, grain and livestock futures have room to work higher, but it won't be easy. I'm Mark Offel. This is the Bottom Line Report for Wednesday, March the 1st, brought to you by AgriLiquid. Bottom line, grain analysts see corn, soybean, and wheat futures at some important support levels as we start the month. Looking at May corn needs to hold 634-635 level in our view. Those will be lows from back in early December. Looking at soybeans, the May contract, anything below 1480 would make 1454-1456 the next stop down. So watch that 1480 level. Wheat showing Kansas and Nebraska wheat rated both only 19% good to excellent. Now, weekly crop updates on a regular basis begin next Monday. July, Kansas City wheat, in our view, needs to hold anything below that $8 level or risk another dime to 15 cents lower from here. AgriLiquid will be at Commodity Classic next week in Orlando. AgriLiquid celebrating 40 years in business this year. Stop by if you're going to Commodity Classic and learn what it means when they say apply less, but expect more AgriLiquid. This is the Bottom Line Report. Live cattle will have an easier time moving higher than lean hogs, but both will find sellers on any advance. That's our Bottom Line Report at midweek. I'm Mark Offold, wishing you a profitable day. Good day, everybody. Albert J. Hernandez, the Untamed Chef for Agnet West. Welcome to the California Kitchen, where you can learn how to cook from an award-winning chef in under three minutes or less. I'm your host with the most. Let's get untamed. So my recipe today, especially with all this weird, blustery, windy, just really, we need this water. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes this weather, what it does for me, it brings me to creating new dishes that I think everyone's absolutely going to love. And you're going to love this recipe for my untamed slow roasted beets. And I promise you, if you're not a beet fan, you will be after this recipe. So very simply, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing this sous vide. Now, if we don't have a sous vide, which most people probably do not, it's okay. 185 degrees in your oven should do the trick and should be more than enough to make this a phenomenal recipe now this is a three hour cook so if you're going to do this it's going to take some time now what i'm going to do is take my beets and i'm going to top them with salt pepper and some oil doesn't have to be olive oil vegetable oil works just as fine some fresh thyme and rosemary and let's go ahead and sprinkle some sugar on top of these as well and just as simple as that 
that is exactly what we need for the recipe. It does not call for much more than just that. Very, very simple. And all we're going to do is we're going to put these in the oven, 185 degrees, and I'm going to just let them go for three whole hours. Now, you're probably thinking 185 degrees, chef, you know, it's a little bit different. When you're cooking sous vide, it's always gonna be different because that's the internal temperature we're looking for. So if you feel that these are not, they, we want it to be fork tender and al dente. I do not want these to be overcooked. If you feel after three hours, everybody's got a different oven. So if you feel that they're not uh, as tender as you'd like them to be, just leave them in longer. Do not change the temperature. Because when you change the temperature, what ends up happening is the flavor and everything gets compromised. And we want to have a beautiful texture on these beets. That is rule number one. So let's not mess with the texture at all by changing the temperature 185 degrees. I know I've done this before in my oven and it wasn't a three hour cook. It took a little bit longer. Um, if you have a steam oven, it changes everything. But most people don't have that as well and it's okay. So very, very simply leave them at 185 degrees and we're gonna leave those in there. Let's go for three to five hours. And I assure you, this is going to be a really, really wonderful dish and experience for you and your family. For this and many more of my untamed recipes, tips, tricks, and all things untamed, go to www.ajhtheuntamedchef.com. And as always, this is Albert J. Hernandez, the Untamed Chef for Agnet West. Well over a year old, a collaborative platform on agriculture between the U.S. and European Union. It is a substantive conversation, and that is really how you ultimately get to untie the knotty problems that we have in any relationship. I'm very, very happy about our collaboration. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and European Union Ag Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski had opportunity to discuss the collaborative platform and other subjects during a session at this year's USDA Agricultural Outlook Forum. The platform is designed to facilitate dialogue in hopes of bringing cooperation to common issues between the U.S. and EU. Among those issues, how both governments can best approach a sustainable ag model that would limit trade barriers. For example, when the EU basically establishes a goal of reducing pesticide use, basically their farmers then have to comply with that requirement or work to comply with that requirement. The problem then becomes whether or not the United States in the production of a similar product has to meet that standard in order to be able to be available in that market or the science basically suggests that the standard doesn't necessarily have to be that low in order for there to be the safety of the product. And that creates a real challenge. Food safety, the quality of the products is very important for us. And But now in the reformed common agricultural policy, our direction of the reform is more incentivized, not restrictions. For example, eco scheme, voluntary for the farmers. We pay money, additional payment, but they are interested to participate in the eco schemes like animal welfare, carbon farming, and other practices. This is the farmer's decision. Yet both leaders see regarding progress matters within the transatlantic collaborative platform on agriculture. This is not something that is a talking point. It is actually people working at a very technical level on an ongoing basis with frequent visits and frequent meetings, significant opportunities for folks to actually have interchange. I'm proudest of the fact that we're actually making this work. Especially I'd like to thank Secretary Wilsek for openness for our collaboration. The collaborative platform is a very good form to increase our relations on the technical level to solve many technical Problems. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Last month, during AgSafe's Activate 23 conference, I had the opportunity to catch up with Martha Sanchez, an environmental liaison with the Department of Pesticide Regulation. This is the second half of my conversation with Martha. Can you speak to some of the data that's been collected? Has the use of pesticide um, in the state of California decreased? Has it kind of stayed the same? Um, are folks more aware? Can you speak to that? Yeah, the data has been, I mean, this is something that I'm really proud at DPR. We have collected data throughout the years on everything. And one of the things that we have uh, definitely, uh, I'm really proud of is that we have, uh, we have stopped registered high toxic pesticides. We are using more or less toxic uh, pesticides to control pests, because unfortunately they, they, they do exist and we keep coming and, you know, we have problems with those. But we definitely got, got away from the highly uh, toxic pesticides, and we're registered the less toxics um, as well. And we do have uh, an IPM program within the department, the Integrated Pest Management Program. So, you know, and again, supporting that, you can use all these tools, and you can use pesticide as a last resort. So definitely we want to make sure that everybody is safe, that we don't, we're not using these pesticides as, as much as you know, if it's not necessary. Any upcoming announcements regarding the roadmap that folks should know about? Yes, the roadmap, we're going to have uh, two webinars. Uh, they're going to be on February 28th and March 2nd. And they're going to be also provided in Spanish as well. Uh, there's going to be two, uh, two dates to choose from um, in the morning or in the evening. So everybody will have an opportunity to join us. I'd like to shift gears a little bit and talk to me about um, pesticide reporting. I know that um, that is something that you were talking about today in your conference, uh, excuse me, in your session. Yes, um, you know, we are getting more creative. So um, definitely the Caspier mobile app is the latest technology that can be used by anyone. Uh, It's in Spanish as well, uh, and it's easy to use. It only asks a few questions. Uh, The person can be be anonymous when submitting the the report. But pesticide reporting is very important because we want to make sure that um, everybody has a a say on, and you know, and we want to capture that as DPR to make sure, you know, where where are the offenders um, are breaking the laws and regulations. So we want to make sure that um, this does not happen. And that's why the Casper mobile app has the features of having a GPS, video, and photos. People can submit that as well. It goes straight to the ag commissioners, and the ag commissioner staff can 
grab grab the report, the information, and 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 go to wherever this is happening. Well, you're an environmental justice liaison, and your connection to wanting to better um, the ag industry when it comes to pesticide application and whatnot. And um, you really spoke to in your session today advancing the health and wellness and safety of our agricultural laborers. There were a few different common mishaps or tips, if you will, that you were sharing as far as a belt goes or wearing the proper PPE um, that you might want to share with, with me and the folks listening. Yes, definitely. Because during the field worker training, which is required annually, uh, we remind them, you know, uh, what kind of protective equipment to use so they don't get exposed to residues because, you know, they might not get drifted on, but they're still working in a field where there's residues in in the plants or, you know, in the crops. So we always uh, give them reminders uh, on what to wear, what to do when they get home and wash them separately from the rest of the clothing from the family. Um, and one of the tips that I gave out that is not in paper, I have never seen it on paper or any educational materials, is the belt. The belt is made of, uh, you know, uh, leather, so it, it absorbs it even more. Um, and field workers have honestly told me that they don't wash the belt. They wash everything else, the cap, the, the socks, even the shoes, but not the belt. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I give them tips on, you know, why not? instead of wearing that leather belt, which they express they even use it on the weekends, you know, buy a belt that it's, it's made of cloth that you can actually wash. Because mm-hmm. somebody says, well, you know, I, I have to wear a belt because that's my, gives me like the strength to lift things up or to just, just to wear it, it makes me feel good. And I say, well, you know, get, a, get a, one made of cloth. Mm-hmm. They do have those that you can easily wash or go to the thrift markets and buy yourself a new one from, from leather if you want to prefer using those. But definitely that's something that is not mentioned in the trainings. Any other tips that you've come across over the last, I think you mentioned 30, 34 years working with the DPR that, that you've heard from growers or, or, and um, our, our agricultural workforce um, that isn't, like you said, written down, but you've heard it so many different times that you feel it's important to share? Many things. Um, you know, one of the, that I shared too was the cell phone. Everybody uses the cell phone, including the pesticide applicators. Um, and it's easy just to reach out of your pocket and start using it. Well, unfortunately, they go home and they give that same cell phone to their kids to play a video game. And they don't realize that they, you know, it has pesticide residues. So one of the tips uh, that I even got from an applicator, he said, I put it in a Ziploc. And when I'm about to use it, I wash my hands, then I reach out for it and, and use it, you know, because I don't want those residues to get to my family. And that makes total sense. So I share that whenever um, it's the opportunity arises of, on sharing good information. That's so smart because, as you know, a lot of the agricultural workforce, their family's involved. Um, my husband, you know, my son, we live out on a farm and a ranch, and he's right there tagging along by dad. And so I think that that's so important that these little tips and tricks that we don't necessarily think about, we should implement in our day-to-day life. Um, and as we wrap up our conversation here, briefly talk about some of those, you mentioned three programs, um, uh, referring to the advancing health and wellness and safety of our agricultural workforce that folks can um, be a part of. Yes, the outreach and education program, it's, it's it's been implemented in, in DPR for over 10 years. Uh, we, the reason it happened is because we needed to be present. We needed to talk to and find out what was happening out 
in the fields with the field workers. They're the expert on the situations. Our job is to educate them about laws and regulations, but also bring back that information that they were sharing with us so we can change things change our laws or regulations you know like one of the th wonderful things that happen is that we develop more outreach materials mm -hmm. in different languages with pictures mm -hmm. with uh you know it was in videos and you know and that way it, it was more acceptable for the community to come and grab and and share with their neighbors with you know with the rest of the family so outreach and education is definitely a plus and you know we love it because we feel like we're making an impact we're um, educating the community. We are there to answer their questions, to hear their concerns. And one of the most important things is that we promote that the Act Commissioners have bilingual staff who you can actually reach out to them and, and, and say it in Spanish. Because mm -hmm. I remember when I came to the, to the United States, you know, you would call and I would say, in Espanol, and they would go, no, and then I would just hang up and give up. But right now we have everything. We have the resources, we have the materials, we have the staff, and we have the ear, because we are there with the community. We are the ears and, and, and eyes for DPR. So we give, bring out this information, but we also learn from there and make things change for, so every, everything can be working fine. Martha, as we wrap up here, anything else that you might like to add that we didn't touch on? Well, the most important thing is that um, I had uh, one person, one field worker, who said, you know, I'm old, I, I don't work in the fields, but I remember when nothing like this was out there. We used to get sprayed, and we used to get sick, and we thought it was part of the job. And I remember, you know, we didn't even have, like, Cal OSHA's um, laws and regulations on having water. I remember cutting, like, a bell pepper in half and use this as a, as a cup and grab water from, from the drip irrigation to drink. He said, now I see you speak Spanish to the community. You have all these materials. They should take advantage of it because this is wonderful. We didn't have that. And, you know, but they do. And you guys are bilingual, and you have these resources. And I am so proud. I'm so proud that the department is actually providing all this, all this information. Too bad for me and the rest of my coworkers. But I'm so glad things changed to the positive. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. How robotics are evolving within the ag industry. Charlie Anderson is the CEO of Burrow. It's a company that focuses on autonomous ag solutions. He says that labor is one of the top challenges for the ag industry. Here's his view on the future of ag technology and how it could help with that issue. To me, robotics is a really, really interesting space. It's very similar to like how computers have evolved, where you have 
Windows is your operating system, Dell makes your computer, use Adobe for Photoshop. There's a, bunch, a whole bunch of, a whole ecosystem of companies that build different things. Our company, Burrow, builds an autonomous ground vehicle that moves around safely alongside people under canopies in things like table grapes, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries. And there is so, there's so many tasks within those areas, whether it's moving around, looking at the crop, or ultimately picking it, that people do today and frequently don't want to do. And so I think over the, the coming years, we're gonna get more and more resolution in terms of what is taking place on a plant-by-plant -plant basis. And there'll be more and more tasks that a robot can do if it knows what's taking place within the plant and if it knows how to get from A to B to C to D. So that's kind of how I see things evolving over time. And eventually you'll have robots everywhere doing everything people no longer want to do. UC Cooperative Extension is hosting a two-day rice production workshop in Richvale in two weeks. The in-depth workshop will take place at Lundberg Family Farms on March 15th and 16th and will cover the principles and practices of rice production in California. The first day of the event will feature presentations on rice growth and development, land formation, and planting and stand establishment. After lunch, topics include water management and fertility, which will be followed up by a questions roundtable. The second day of the workshop will cover weeds, arthropods, and vertebrae pests, followed by presentations on diseases after lunch, along with a pest identification session. DPR, CCA, and CDFA Nitrogen Management Continuing Education credits have been requested, and the enrollment deadline to participate is March 8th. More information on the workshop is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. The Dairy Export Forecast for 2023. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.